let's take a Klansman, for example, has the right to stand in the corner of a public park and hand out literature. And he has a right, if he finds an extre- a site willing to post his messages, to post his messages. But he, others who choose not to should not be required by, by First Amendment law to offer him a platform. This is Lawyer to Lawyer, the award-winning legal podcast with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi. West Coast meets East Coast, and yes, they are attorneys, bringing you the latest legal news and observations every week with the leading experts in the legal profession. Lawyer to Lawyer is sponsored by Law.com, produced right here on the Legal Talk Network. Welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. We're glad you could listen today. This is Bob Ambrogi coming to you from Massachusetts. And this is Craig Williams from Southern California. I write a legal blog called May It Please the Court and have a book out called How to Get Sued. Bob? Uh, I write a bunch of blogs. Uh, Law Sites is my own blog and Media Law and also Legal Blog Watch for Law.com. And uh, a reminder, of course, that today's show is sponsored by Clio and by Landy Insurance. Well, last week, an 88-year-old white supremacist and a creator of an anti-Semitic website walked into the Holocaust Museum in Washington, D.C., and is alleged to have opened fire, resulting in the death of a security guard there. Uh, The incident, of course, stunned the visitors to the Holocaust Museum that day and stunned many people around the nation. Um, And it also uh, fueled discussion about what people are saying, or many people are saying, is a spike in alleged hate crimes in recent months in this country. Well, Bob, the question remains, how far does the First Amendment extend to protect individuals, not just during the course of a crime, but leading up to it? Um, Should tighter restrictions be placed on those who spread hate under the protection of the First Amendment? And if so, who defines hate speech? We're going to uh, explore many of the issues around this today with three guests Uh, Joining us first today is attorney Brian Cuban, a Dallas attorney who works for Mark Cuban Companies. Brian is also the executive director of the Mark Cuban Foundation, which currently administers the Fallen Patriot Fund. Uh, Brian uh, writes the blog, The Cuban Revolution, where he's recently urged Facebook to remove Holocaust denial groups. Uh, Welcome to the show, Brian Cuban. Thank you for having me. And Bob, our next guest is attorney Steve Freeman. He is uh, the Anti-Defamation League Director of Legal Affairs. The mission of the Anti-Defamation League is to stop the defamation of the Jewish people, to secure justice and fair treatment to all citizens alike. Welcome to the show, Steve Freeman. Thank you. It's a pleasure. And next to join us is renowned trial lawyer and First Amendment lawyer Martin Garbus. Uh, Martin Garbus has tried cases throughout the country involving First Amendment, constitutional, criminal, copyright, and intellectual property law. He's written any number of briefs that have been submitted to the United States Supreme Court, a number of which have resulted in changes in the law on a nationwide basis. He has represented Nelson Mandela, Don Imus, Lenny Bruce, and countless others. He's also featured in the new documentary, uh, Shouting Fire, stories from the edge of free speech made by a filmmaker and his daughter, Liz Garbus. Uh, welcome to the show, Martin Garbus. Hi, thank you very much. Well, Bob, I guess we should get started here and, and really acknowledge that nobody's arguing the heinous nature of the shooting at the Holocaust Museum in Washington, D.C. that left security guard Stephen Tyrone Johns dead. 
But information about the alleged shooter, James Von Braun, and his actions leading up to the shooting really begs the question about the extent to which the First Amendment protects anyone. Uh, Steve, let's start with you and get your thoughts. Well, I think, first of all, that there is a distinction between hate speech and hate crimes, and it's important to put that out there at the beginning. Uh, Von Braun has been known to us for several decades. He's been associated with prominent white supremacists and Holocaust deniers. He's had a web presence. Uh, he's, had, he's been involved in publishing articles and, a, and even self-published a book that was filled with anti-Semitic hate. Uh, he actually um, served a sentence in jail for attempting to an attack on the Federal Reserve Board back in 1981. Um, but I think that, uh, and we had not seen any activity from him over the last uh, half dozen years or so. His, his sites have been fairly dormant. Um, I think what he did in Washington constitutes a hate crime. I don't think in any way it constitutes protected expression or protected speech. And I think it was that line that he crossed um, that that uh, probably should be the focus of our discussion. Uh, up, up until he did that, apart from the, um, the other crime that he committed when he tried to attack the Federal Reserve, the actions he engaged in were, were awful, they were heinous, but they were protected under the First Amendment. You're, you've uh, tackled this issue in, in this the context of, of Facebook, uh, yeah. and uh, the issue there are these Holocaust denial groups that exist there. And uh, I, I, I'm not sure whether Facebook is, is raising the flag of the First Amendment here, but you're arguing uh, that Facebook is, is a private company that uh, is free to regulate itself. I mean, what's, tell us a little bit about your position on this. Facebook is raising the flag of the pseudo-First Amendment. Facebook's position basically is that we have structured our, as we know, there is no First Amendment protection on Facebook. You know, the First Amendment does not apply in that type of realm. Facebook has basically said, yes, but we have structured our terms of service and the types of speech we will allow under, based on First Amendment guidelines. And based on that, the, the mere fact of denying the Holocaust does not does not constitute hate speech under our terms of service. That is Facebook's position in a nutshell. Well, Martin, why don't we bring you into this conversation and, and uh, give us an overview of, of your perspective on, on this question of hate speech and, and, and uh, its relation to the First Amendment. Well, I think by and large hate speech that doesn't cause an incitement, that doesn't cause something to happen, uh, ought not to be prosecuted and ought to be protected. I think the First Amendment... Uh, goes that wide. I think hate crimes, of course, are something else, and they should be prosecuted. I think the relationship between speech and crime is always tenuous. If a guy is standing in the middle of the park and he's saying, let's go kill this, and whatever epithet he uses, and then as a result of him using that speech, 30 people get mobilized and beat up the guy 10, block, 10 feet away, that kind of speech is not protected. Now, does that mean that the guy should be punished in addition to the speech? I don't think so. I think that the penal system has sufficient penalties uh, with respect to all crimes. In fact, you know, as a corollary issue, the penal system is far too, prisons are far too crowded to add something else. Also, I don't think that it's deterrent in any way. And also, as between a hate crime or men, or men beating women or abusing women or women abusing men, I, I, I don't think that any of these additional penalties that we try and impose have any effect at all. But that's, a, that's a summary, and I was surprised to find that in this conversation, I think there's as little disagreement amongst us as there appears to be. 
Well, I, oh. If I could jump in, it's it's Steve again. I we we don't share a view about the relevance and the and the importance of hate crimes laws, which obviously ADL has been a major proponent of. But I know that's a little bit off uh, the topic of the of the where where you started. I, I didn't say I was an advocate of hate crime. No, I meant uh, that that you do not support the notion of penalty enhancement for hate crimes laws. And that's a, that's an area where Martin and I would not agree. I'm sorry, that I do not support... A penalty enhancement for a crime that's oh, targeted right, right, by right. bias, I, yes. if I understood you correctly. Yes, you did understand me correctly. Okay. Yes, I'm sorry. I, did not, I do not agree that there should be an enhancement of the crime uh, because of the speech involved prior to the crime. Well, to, to fine-tune it, it's not because of the speech involved, it's because of the... Tar- and if I can just say ADL's position and try and summarize it in a nutshell, we take the position that somebody who targets a victim because of the victim's status should be punished, and that punished that underlying crime, whether it's an assault or vandalism or something similar, can carry a tougher sentence because of the broader impact it has on society. And it's a position that's been supported across the board by prominent law enforcement agencies from coast to coast, and they do see that it has a, um, a significant impact, a deterrent impact, and uh, as well as, as conveying, uh, addressing concerns about the possibility of retaliation, the possibility of further victimization when you get into these spirals of, of inter-ethnic or inter-community violence. Steve, you're right. We disagree. Okay. <laughs> or reasonable people can disagree about it, but that's been our position for many years. So, Brian, where does censorship enter into this whole uh, discussion? Well, I mean, from my standpoint, at least in, as it relates to my uh, battles with Facebook, Facebook, I mean, Facebook already censors. They, they censor all kinds. They censor nudity. They censor uh, other types of you know, hate speech. There is no question that Facebook censors. It is just a question of where they draw their subjective line in that censorship. So it, it, it has become a fundamental chasm in how, how Facebook defines two words and how, you know, and how myself and others define two words. And, and again, there, there is really, I mean, in the, in the broadest sense, there is no such, unless faith, the only true free speech is that Facebook lets anyone say anything they want about anything and doesn't censor anything. They have chosen not to do that. Okay, and, and once they have chosen not to do that and, let it, and put out an unrestricted message to the masses, that comes an, ob- an obligation to censor with some social responsibility, since they've already chosen to censor. And when you get into, you know, what is Holocaust denial, you know, my position and the position of others is that Holocaust denial is merely a pretext for hatred of, of Jews. It is not a historical theory, and Facebook's position it is just a historical theory that has a right to be discussed. So there is a... And, and should not be censored. So there is a very wide, you know, uh, reach in, in where we stand on that. And, and Facebook, you know, and, and this is and, and it is important to keep in mind, this is not a First Amendment issue. This is a terms of service issue. Facebook's terms of service says, you know, you know we're not going to allow hate speech. And my position is Holocaust analysis, hate speech, their position is it is not. Although they're kind of phrasing it in First Amendment terms, the way they're talking about it, I mean, they're 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 talking about this as a, as a matter of Absolutely. kind of public debate, and and, and there's uh, a reason they do that because all of their you because the general public, you know, outside of the lawyers and such, the general public, and I've learned this now, you know, really may not know what the First Amendment says, but they have an idea of free speech, and when they go into the realm of Facebook, who says our idea is to encourage discussion of ideas. They believe that there is an idea of 
First Amendment protection of free speech, when in fact there is not, and it's only what Facebook says it is. Does that make sense? I must tell you, I think the Internet is an extraordinary instrument, Facebook or otherwise, for making people aware of what free speech is. Because each time as you push at these corners and these tugs, whether it be the abortion groups who, who uh, locate doctors that should be killed, uh, which you know is an issue we could all talk about, but I think, by and large, the American public is not terribly aware of, of the First Amendment, doesn't care much of the First Amendment. And I think a lot of the issues that arise because of the Internet are making people much, much more conscious and much, much more aware. And I think that's terrific, irrespective of the position that Facebook ultimately takes. I think the fact that there's a debate about it is marvelous. I'd like to um, add to that. Um, what I agree with, uh, with Brian's take on on. Facebook, but I think what's interesting is that many, many of the internet companies, Yahoo, YouTube, Facebook, MySpace, have similar terms of service when it comes to not posting content that's hateful, not posting offensive speech, not posting things that are harmful or threatening or harassing and so forth. So it is a it is a universe um, by their choice uh, where, I mean, they don't have to have that as part of their terms of service, but they almost all do. And as a result, when one tool that's available to people who find take issue with the stuff they post, whether it's Holocaust denial or something else, can go to them and say, this is inconsistent with your terms of service, please take it down. And that that leads to an interesting, different discussion about who is deciding what's offensive and not who they are, how they are making those decisions, what it says when they leave something up that people regard as offensive, that, that that's more or less an endorsement from them that they don't think it's offensive. And it gets into a a different arena from the from the First Amendment is a protected speech or not? But are you saying that if they if they did not discriminate at all, that you would have not have any problem with them? In other words, if they allowed any kind of speech whatsoever with no limits, you would have no issue with the Holocaust denial groups on Facebook. Let me ask Brian that question. Yes, if they yes, I mean, as much as I think it's as much as I think it's despicable, a despicable type of speech, Holocaust denial. If they were not censoring at all, and it was a true free speech environment. I would, as much as I, I, I would just have to say, well, I won't take part in it. And it's, you know, it is what it is. In other words, you're saying it should go on, but you're just not going to get engaged in it. That's correct. If they are going to allow everything I, and anything. I think that's a terrific position. I think you should be then, allowed then, to then, you know, and, and as a Jew, you know, I still think it would be despicable. But as long as they're not choosing, you know, picking and choosing, then I, I think I have to say that is free speech. And that is a value of America. Well, YouTube right now is picking and choosing. As we know, there is a lot of violence that's arising out of the elections in Iran. And YouTube is, uh, they have a policy against not showing violence in any of their videos. But because there is no news and news is censored coming out of Iran, they are allowing uh, individual people to put up examples of violence that are occurring in Iran so that the rest of the world can know about it. Now, they say that they're doing that because it's newsworthy. What's your, what's your sense about that, Steve? Well, actually, um, I think it's, it's their judgment. And in this case, it's, um, it, it really, to a certain degree, is a matter of consistency. If they're going to say they, they don't allow hateful content and they don't allow violence, then, then they're basically anointing themselves to be the ones who, who make those decisions, what is and what isn't a violation of their terms of service. And, and I sometimes wonder how they're making that decision. But I will say we have worked, ADL has worked with YouTube, and um, they actually have taken from us some suggestions for tips for confronting hate speech and things people can do when they go on YouTube and they see it. And that's a very welcome 
development from our perspective that there are um, ways that they advise people to flag something, to, to respond to it, to challenge it, to use your own First Amendment opportunities to go on and challenge something. It, it doesn't it, it begs the question, I think the underlying question, which is the same question that Mark has identified so so well. Once you're out there saying you're not going to allow certain things, uh, you open yourself up to that kind of questioning. And the volume of stuff being uploaded these days is so huge that they're, from what we understand from talking to them and all these companies, there's no way they can have an actual person monitoring everything that's posted. So the whole system works by people flagging and complaining and then them reviewing what people are complaining about and making their own judgments and how they're deciding and what expertise they have to decide what's racist or what's anti-Semitic or what's politically appropriate or politically correct or not or whatever basis they're, they're using to decide is still somewhat opaque. I spent a good deal of time in China where China was trying to suppress the Internet over all kinds of things, everything relating from Tiananmen to sex and uh, China had probably the, the best mechanism in the world for it. They had the highest technology for it in the world. And at the end of the day, they couldn't do it. I think that the whole idea of trying to suppress stuff or keep it off, whatever it is, whether it be to keep more violence on TV from, uh, uh, from Iran, all that stuff, I think it's just a waste of time. And I think that there's far greater benefit to people seeing exactly what's going on in Iran and not having these kinds of rules and regulations about how you regulate news. Because what is violence can then lead to certain kinds of demonstrations that people should be seeing. It can lead to speeches by people that then turn into violence. And all that stuff to me, it seems to me, is critical. And I think one of the great things about the Internet is uh, whatever uh, anyone says, whether it be Facebook, Yahoo, whether it be uh, CBS or ABC, as a result of this new world, all that stuff is going to be shown. So in a way, you're, we're, the whole argument about what should or shouldn't be shown or what Facebook should or shouldn't do, yes, that's appropriate to Facebook or it's appropriate to other people, but at the end of the day, it's all going to come out there, just like the, you know, getting, just skipping a little, the torture photos. That's going to get out there, irrespective of who bans what. It is not like other companies haven't, have not made these types of limitations and the world hasn't collapsed and their business model hasn't collapsed. Look at eBay. Back in, what was it, 2001, Meg Whitman decided to ban, you know, they had the issue with the, the sale of Nazi memorabilia, which I would argue uh, is a type of hate speech, even though it's a different platform, or it can be, it can be a type of hate speech. The, the, instead of just blocking it in the countries where illegal, they said, we're going to block it everywhere. You can no longer buy and sell Nazi memorabilia on eBay. Why did they do it? It's going to hurt their business. It's going to hurt their business. Well, they model. did it because they're going to be prosecuted. Because they're going to be prosecuted in France, or so have to pay a lot of money in France. Well, but they could have just done it there. Okay. Well, they be prosecuted in Germany. Can I offer a, a slightly different perspective on this question? Uh, it's they, Steve. They I, right I, think, I think that people have free speech is obviously a right, and somebody, let's take a Klansman, for example, has the right to stand on the corner of a public park and hand out literature, and he has a right if he finds an a site willing to post his messages, to post his messages. But he, others who choose not to should not be required by, by First Amendment law to offer him a platform. I'm not, we're not talking about government entities here. We're talking about private companies. And if they choose not to, they're not saying he doesn't have the right to speak. They're not saying he doesn't really have the right to convey his message. They're saying he doesn't have the right to use our logo, our platform, our 
our services to to purvey that message. And frankly, I don't really have a problem with that. I think that to the extent that there are internet companies out there that have no terms of service, and there are, uh, I agree with what uh, with what Brian said earlier. Anything goes on those companies, and if we don't want to, if people don't want to use them or look at the message, they don't have to. Um, but a company that chooses voluntarily to market itself as family-oriented or for public, you know, or in, in a general way, not to allow this kind of stuff, that's their prerogative too. And if they see a, a corporate benefit in it, um, I don't really have a, I don't really challenge their right to have terms of service. The question that 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 raises for us is the enforcement of those terms of service. We're going to take a short break at this point. We'll be back uh, in just a few moments to hear more from our guests. Imagine how much easier managing your practice would be if your practice management software was web-based. Your practice would be available anywhere you have an internet connection, completely secure, backed up continuously, and most importantly, easy to use, allowing you to spend your valuable time building your practice instead of managing technology. Start simplifying your practice today with Clio. Sign up for a free, fully functional 30-day trial at www.goclio.com. Use promotional code L2L for a 25% discount. Right from the beginning, you know, I knew I was important. Can you say that about the insurance agency helping to protect your legal practice? Lawyers like Rebecca Brody are confident working with the Herbert H. Landy Insurance Agency, knowing they have the best professional liability insurance coverage for the best possible price. It is about customer service. I think that's what we like to promote in our business. You know, we did have some kind of specialty questions. We did have some concerns. It was really great, and it really felt like if I'm that well taken care of, it made it possible for me to go and take care of, you know, take care of my business and take care of my clients. Give us a call at 800-336-5422 or visit our website at landy.com. That's L-A-N-D-Y dot com. 60 years of experience. Welcome back to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. We'd like to welcome back attorney Brian Cuban, a Dallas attorney working for Mark Cuban Companies, and attorney Steve Freeman, who's with the Anti-Defamation League and their director of legal affairs, and renowned trial lawyer and First Amendment lawyer, attorney Martin Garbus. Well, we talked about uh, a little bit about how the Internet is, is shaping things as, as it relates to this debate. How do you think that the, the First Amendment has taken, uh, the Internet has taken the First Amendment and dealt with that in other countries other than the United States? Well, I think that the Internet has been an extraordinarily powerful force for getting information out. I mean, as I said, I spent time in China, and I was involved both with the government uh, as a consultant in a certain way, dealing with uh, certain for, uh, copyright issues, which, which, of course, are First Amendment-related. But uh, what China proves to me is that no government can stop it. And I think that's significant. I also want to get in that last, there's a film, which, as you mentioned, my daughter did, called Shouting Fire, which is going to be shown on HBO on June 29th, which deals with hate speech. It deals with all of these issues. And I think the, and it has various talking heads, uh, Richard Posner, um, Floyd Abrams, etc., and I think, by and large, the consensus, if I, can, if I can say there's a consensus, would be not to stop hate speech or, uh, and not to have enhancements of crimes for hate speech. And also the realization that with the Internet, 
that everything has changed. And the idea that you can stop anything, anything from going on on, on the air is just uh, is out of the question any, any longer. So that if abortion, people who are opposed to abortion want to put out the scurrilous stuff, uh, you really can't stop it. On the other hand, if they put out a picture, let's say, of Martin Garbus and say, kill this guy because this guy happens to provide abortions to people, and that leads somehow, not, 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 no, I say leads somehow, pardon me, leads directly to my getting killed. That's something else. That's the kind of speech that can be prosecuted. Well, and you are, I mean, the title of the film is Shouting Fire, which is, you know, an allusion to the, the classic line about shouting fire in a crowded theater. Uh, I mean, is there, is there a line at any point? Is there a point at which you go over the edge where, where any speech can ever go over the edge? Or, or, or yeah, is I it think, an absolute... I think the incitement point, I think what the film deals with, you're right, it's called Shouting Fire. Shouting fire in a the theater is, tr- is prohibitively, is traditionally prohibited because the theory is if you shout fire, people are going to rush to the doors and people are going to get trampled and people are going to get killed. I think with respect to the, what the film deals with is with respect to the internet, uh, I think one recognizes that if I target somebody and say this is a man who did this, that, or the other thing, even without using the words kill him, and that those particular words directly, in other words, Garbus, let's say, sees it, and based on that, he goes out and he kills the person. And if you can make the connection exactly between that speech and the killing, that kind of speech is prohibited, and that speaker would be a conspirator in, in the killing of, of that particular person. So that's a place where I think speech, if it's direct, if it's imminent, it's like the guy in the corner in the park. If he has people out there with 50 machine guns, and he says, okay, guys, let's go this, let's do this, let's shoot up this guy, let's shoot up that minority crowd, that speech uh, can be prosecuted. I also agree before what was said before, namely, there are certainly different regulations, and uh, the First Amendment relates to the government. It doesn't relate uh, technically. When I say technically, it doesn't relate at all to private enterprises. However, one would like to see the spirit of the First Amendment somehow infuse private enterprises that are so enormous, whether it be Facebook or Google, that are so heavily government interrelated, uh, whether it be through subsidies, customs, taxes, etc., that there be an application that the First Amendment be interpreted wider than just applying solely to government entities. That should cause some disagreement. Right. Steve, do you, do you see it that way as well? Well, I, first of all, I would make a distinction between Google or a search engine and some of the internet companies we're talking about, like Facebook. One of the things that, that we've done with Google uh, is encourage them uh, we're not, we haven't encouraged them to change their search algorithms or their systems. But, for example, we were getting complaints a number of years ago when people searched the term Jew. They got, they got a site that was very anti-Semitic. And what we asked Google to do and what Google did was add a note to the search result indicating that. Uh, so it was, it was amplifying free speech in a way, allowing them to qualify and say their, search, their algorithm is not... Uh, intended to to endorse or oppose any particular message, but that this message was very offensive to some people, uh, and that to me is is exactly and entirely in the spirit of of the First Amendment of free speech to explain things and to express to use more speech in response to bad speech. I think I I would make a distinction between search engines like Google and companies like Facebook that have you know, the, the terms of service we've been talking about for the last half hour. And there's also another distinction. Uh, Facebook has already chosen to go out, you know, go outside the uh, spirit of the First Amendment. For instance, they ban, they, you know, the, the 
brouhaha over the breastfeeding photos. Now you cannot have any photos at all of women breastfeeding or something of that type. I think we would all agree that pictures of women breast, breastfeeding are probably protected under the First Amendment. Facebook is choosing to ban, ban certain types of speech that would otherwise be protected. So they've already crossed the line, and it's a very subjective line, just like YouTube right now is setting a subjective line by allowing some type of violent content. The, I guess, let me try this one. The, the ultimate question is, how do we prevent hate crimes? I mean, you can't, realistically can't legislate or regulate hate crimes that, that preventing them from happening. What, what steps can we take to avoid this issue? Well, I think a lot of it has to do with, with education and, and, and explaining the evils of bias and prejudice, which is what one of the things that ADL is all about. Uh, there are also things that can be done in, in, in terms of uh, communities, in terms of training police to identify crimes and try to, try to anticipate people who, um, you know, who, are engage, who are training or engaging in, in potentially violence-prone activities. But I just want to make something really clear, which is that we do not take the position that hate speech is punishable or that hate speech should be punishable. Um, our position on hate crimes is that there is a significant difference. There has to be an underlying crime, an act of violence, an act of vandalism. And if in that way it's analogous to discrimination laws, there, there is an act that is prohibited. There is an act that is punished, targeting somebody because of their status. And there is an analogy, I think, that can be made between the whole body of discrimination laws that we have that don't allow that and targeting people for criminal conduct because of their status. And in, in neither case do I think the First Amendment is violated if somebody actually commits that sort of a, of a violation or that sort of a criminal act. Uh, and, I, and I would stand next to anybody who wants to say hate speech is constitutionally protected. The concern that I have is when somebody's bias or somebody's prejudice motivates that person to engage in a crime and target somebody as a result of who that person is, that to me and to us uh, is appropriately punishable. Well, we've about reached the end of the time we have for this program. And uh, before we conclude the show, we'd like to give each of you an opportunity to give your final thoughts on the topic and also to let our listeners know uh, how they can follow up with you, whether uh, by web, uh, email, telephone, or whatever you'd like to uh, point them to. So, uh, Brian Cuban, let's start with you. Well, at least as as it pertains to Facebook, I think that a lot of it is going to be just be education. Uh, You know, there there is a lot of, I believe, I don't want to, well, there's a lot of ignorance and just you know, non lack of knowledge about what Holocaust denial entails and what it's about and about the historical relevance of it. And I frankly think that as Facebook is brought more into what it really means, they very well may change their position. And uh, you can learn more about it at www.briancuban.com, the Cuban Revolution. Thanks a lot. And Steve Freeman, how about you? Uh, thank you very much. Let me end by saying that I, I continue to believe that the best answer to hate speech is, is more speech. We are very much believers in the First Amendment and, and what it means for this country. Uh, and I, we also believe very deeply and profoundly in the importance of teaching about hate and the evils of hate, evils of prejudice. And, and we welcome people to visit ADL's website at www.adl.org. And if anybody wants to contact me, they can contact me through the website. There is a place to say, which says contact us, uh, and they can indicate they have a question for Steve Freeman or for somebody in the legal affairs department, and we would be happy to respond. 
And Martin, the, this documentary we've been talking about is airing on HBO. I think it's June 29th. Uh, we'll stick with that, Bob, in terms of uh, Martin's uh, promotion there. And, and I'm sure that people can find him through uh, HBO and, and related sites. But that does it for this week's Lawyer to Lawyer. Remember, you can check out all of our Lawyer to Lawyer shows on LegalTalkNetwork.com. And a special thanks to our guests for taking the time to be with us today. And a reminder to our listeners that our shows are also in the podcast library on iTunes, and you can find us there. And we'll be back next week to discuss another great legal topic. And to our listeners, remember, when you think legal, think lawyer to lawyer. Look forward to talking to you next week, Craig. See you then. Thanks for listening to Lawyer to Lawyer with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi. Every week, a new legal topic that you won't want to miss. We hope you'll listen again and check out our other shows on the Legal Talk Network. Lawyer to Lawyer has been sponsored by Law.com. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Som. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.